You are listening to Mediation Station, and this is your host, Greg Fenton. Each week, we explore topics and ideas related to the experience of people with conflict and look to promote the profession of conflict resolvers. We are available to connect with at greggf at primus.ca and 647-227-4734. Visit us at our Facebook page to like us and Facebook group page to become a member. Also visit YouTube channels for both CHHA, 1610 AM, and Greg Fenton. Listen to podcasts of each radio show by visiting either SoundCloud.com or iTunes podcasts under Mediation Station. We have a Twitter account, at Fenton Mediation, so make sure to follow us. We have a show, and we're talking about what does financial knowledge have to do with family mediation. And our visitor tonight is Neelam Dahl, and she's with us, and she's ready to have a conversation together. Hi, Neelam. How are you? Hi, Greg. I'm doing great. How are you doing? I'm all right. Thanks for having me tonight. Thanks for coming out on a Sunday night. What do you usually do at this time of the day? (laughs) Well, if it wasn't a long weekend, I would probably be cooking a couple of meals in preparation for the week to make my my life a little bit easier. On a long weekend, I'd probably be hanging out with friends. Yeah. But I'm so happy to be here tonight. Well, I appreciate you reaching out and uh, having this opportunity to uh, help inform and educate us on the topic of financial literacy, financial knowledge with regard to people who are going through a transition in their intimate relationship. Why don't we start off and you share some information about your professional background and experience. So I'm a chartered accountant and I spent uh, the better part of 20 years in the in the finance realm of things and in my latter part of my career as a chartered accountant actually spent negotiating multi-million dollar contracts for a very large organization and preparing things like the RFQ and interviewing vendors for these really big contracts and then ultimately managing those contracts. So it was kind of a really neat transition. I subsequently, um, after my own experiences, decided to go back to school and become an accredited family mediator. And so uh, that's what I've been doing for the last little while and, and really combining the finance academia and experience with actually being an accredited family mediator and I also offer divorce coaching, I do financial coaching and I'm also an author in an upcoming book that's called um, 365 Empowering Stories, You Can't Afford the Luxury of a Negative Thought and that book is coming out next year which I'm really excited about. What if it's a leap year? It's 366 days. (laughs) Just checking with you. (laughs) So why did you uh, decide intentionally, I would think, to gravitate from transitioning where you were at career-wise to go to family mediation? So I think the universe brings us to places uh, as and when we're meant to be there. And I think many of us take uh, personal life experiences to derive a new passion, a newfound passion about what you are meant to be doing. And so for me, I went through my own divorce. Uh, I was with my ex-husband for 20 years and decided you know, it was time to move on and this relationship was no longer working for our family. And um, as much as I wanted to do it the nice way and keep our feet out of court, uh, he had other ideas. And so we started this negative battle in the court system and discovered very quickly how expensive that can get and how negative it can be and, and just the toll that it takes, you know, emotionally, financially, physically. And uh, actually 10 months into that battle, I discovered I had breast cancer. And so already being sort of the peaceful person that I am, you know, that really changes your perspective even more on what's important in life. Mm-hmm. 
So after all of that, you know, thankfully I came out of that treatment okay and we're doing great now and um, we went back into court, unfortunately, not really my choice, but eventually we found mediation and I didn't know anything about it when we first started our battle mm-hmm. and we ended up with this fantastic parenting plan, ironically almost the exact same parenting plan I had asked for before we set foot in court. And it was at that moment I said, you know what, I am going back to school, I'm going to become accredited as a family mediator, and I'm going to help other people not go down the path of going through court, resolving as much as possible outside of court, faster, without emptying their bank accounts, and really without you know, the negative impact all of that stress can take on you, as I know firsthand. Mm-hmm. I, if I can help one person not go through that, that's what my life's passion is now. Oh, you know, it's trying to help people to appreciate and understand that they have the power within to decide for themselves what pathway to follow. Yet a lot of people don't realize that. They give a lot of ownership up to other people and other approaches. And, you know, our society is the, uh, such device that, you know, the justice system is there and people avail it themselves of that maybe too much mm-hmm. for decisions, especially about family, which are relational, and putting a legalistic mindset and approach and uh, decision making on that kind of entity when in reality people could on their own or with the assistance of a third party try to work these things out well and it's huge because you know we don't all fit into boxes it's exactly what you're just saying is that you know mediation offers you the flexibility to come up with some kind of solution that makes sense for your specific unique family circumstances that you may not otherwise get in a courtroom setting so you know, certainly to me and many others, it makes perfect sense to try, at least try the mediation route. Even if you couldn't resolve every single issue you might have, you may very well get through the majority of it, maybe even 90% or more. And so even if you only have one last item that you can't deal with in mediation, you've just saved yourself a whack of stress and, you know, financial burden mm-hmm. that you don't need to endure. And you've created the opportunity to make your own decision making so when you have that authority and that that power you can customize it and create whatever you want the court has nothing to say about that exactly two people as uh, former intimates deciding as the intimates though continuing as a co-parenting type of relationship on what to do with regard to their issues child support custody access property things of that nature that it's so much more empowering to be able to decide for oneself and have that as a foundation to use as a template for your future decision making because your kids are going to grow up and they're going to change their issues. Your own life is going to change, right? Absolutely. And, um, you know, you can come up with options that aren't necessarily available to you in a courtroom setting and you can change those options as, you know, as life changes. And you have all this flexibility that you, again, you don't get in the courtroom setting. And that's my goal is to help, you know, spread the word to people so they know that there are these options out there that are so much more positive and constructive than the negative adversarial, uh, you know, traditional Mm -hmm. approach. Right. You mentioned one time you were focused on a very, you know, a space of career-wise that was all about numbers, financials. And then you had life experiences that uh, you made a conscious decision to transition to into becoming a uh, family mediator. And so when you were growing up, though, and, the, you know, working as a family mediator or a mediator in general, it's about relationships for me. 
and working with people in their relationships, about their relationships. So what were the things when you were younger that you thought about when you might be older that sort of uh, you felt were important? So I was always that kid, you know, I have a lot of empathy about me and a lot of compassion for people. And I was sort of that kid that would just, you know, take on somebody, uh, maybe they weren't doing well or people were, you know, bullying them or something. And, and I would just sort of take on their hurts and try to help them along. And that continued just throughout my life. In fact, it was kind of funny, it just reminded me at my wedding reception, my brother actually was saying this speech and he, one of his sentences was, you know, when Neelam loves you, she will do anything for you. And you are so lucky when you have her on your side. And that's just sort of, that's just part of me. And so I find, you know, this is just a, a wonderful new career path for me because I have a passion about helping people, taking that stuff that I would do as a kid plus using my own personal experience, plus using, you know, my academic knowledge and business knowledge to really put everything together and help people through their life transitions. Right. So, I mean, it's fundamental that people can connect with others, especially practitioners, from my point of view, is that when they know they've gone through experiences that may not be uh, exactly the same, they, they were profound in some way, and they've impacted people because you just don't go to school and learn the course and get some experience. There's another level of engagement when you have the depth of lived experiences, too, that you can bring into the practice in some way. Absolutely, and I think, you know, clients really appreciate that because, you know, it's not, they don't they don't feel like they're just a number and you're trying to help them through something, but you don't understand what they're actually feeling. This is really, oh, you've lived it. Okay, she you gets care. it. Yeah, and, and, you know, when you're talking to a parent about, you know, a parenting plan and there's all these emotions involved and, oh, my gosh, I'm not going to see my kids and, you know, how is this going to work and I'm going to miss them and how are, how's Christmas going to work or some other special tradition, being able to talk to them from your own experience and say, listen, you know, you know, it might be a case of let's start new traditions. You know, in our case, for example, um, the stockings. So I don't see my children on the 23rd and the 24th. And so we started a new tradition. We open the stockings on the 22nd. It's about just having that tradition. It doesn't matter that it's not on the 24th anymore. And, you know, talking people through what are the things that are important to you and maybe something's important to one parent that's not as important to the other parent and vice versa. And being able to sort of turn on the light bulb for them and go, look at this. You guys can still do all the things that are important to you just in a different way. Yeah, I mean, to bring to light that a distinction from of mediation with the justice system, if you go into the court, is they don't ask the why, per se. They just say, what do you want? And then both sides are sort of fighting at each other, presenting their positions in a very adversarial kind of atmosphere. And then the judge is left with the this point, this point, and then they're the decision maker. In mediation, you retain the ownership of that ability to construct the why, to explain to from a deeper perspective, okay, this is what you want. Why? What does that mean to you? Why is that important? What's going on for your life? What's not happening? Exactly. And, and that's what it is. It's interest-based, right, in mediation, as opposed to the judge who only knows you in that moment. They don't know your family. They don't know what's best for your family, what your kids might need, what you might need. Whereas in the mediation, it's personal to your family, and you get the time to speak up and talk about all those things that are important to you. So how do you know that financial matters are important in a relationship? 
So I think uh, it's probably all over Google that one of the biggest reasons that people split up is over money. Uh, money makes the world go round, and it's certainly not the most important thing, but it is very important, right? Like, love doesn't pay the bills. Um, you need money to survive. Mm-hmm. You, you know, maybe you have certain aspirations for your lifestyle. You need money to afford that. Maybe you want to put your kids through school. You need money to afford that. And it's really important in a relationship, uh, particularly as you're thinking about getting into a serious relationship, to have those discussions up front. Understand what your perspective is about money, uh, you know, what your relationship is with money. Are you the spender? Are you the saver versus the other person? And are you guys aligned? Because if you're not aligned in the way you think about money and the way you handle money, you are destined to have some kind of difficulty unless you are able to make some really good compromises. Don't people, though, have an aversion to talking about finances or money, especially at the earliest points of uh, hap- you know, starting a relationship together? I think they absolutely do, and I think it's really incumbent on you. If you want to make this relationship work, you have to talk about all kinds of important issues, not just the money. You know, what's your viewpoint on children? What's your viewpoint on, um, you know, lifestyle or, you know, are, you know, what you want to do with your life moving forward and, and where you, what's your vision for your life? All of these issues are big things to talk about, and they may be difficult, but it's a heck of a lot more difficult going through a divorce because you didn't talk about them up front. Yeah, I mean, the long-term impact. I mean, the things that we avoid in life tend to somehow rise up later on in some kind of unresolved issue that if it was addressed or talked about at an earlier point, it may have not formed into what it becomes later on. Exactly. And it's, I mean, with anything, communication is so important, right? I mean, you've got to communicate about everything. The the more you let something fester, the worse it's going to get, and it's not going to go away. No. And... That's, though, one of the traditional ways people deal with conflict is that they avoid it or they hope someone else comes in and rescues them and, or fixes it for them. And a lot of times that doesn't generally happen or happen as well as we had hoped. That's right. And so then, you know, that's the benefit of going to a mediator in some way rather than going into a court process because you retain the ability to present your point of view and the other point of view. It's not positions, though it comes across initially as positions, and then we're trying to probe and go deeper and find out what's behind that or what that is all about, the interest area. Well, that's exactly it. And and, um, I'm always reminded of um, one of my courses, one of the mediation courses that I took, and they talked about, I don't know if you've heard this story about the two children and the orange. The orange metaphor? Yes, right? So basically the two kids are on a playground and they're fighting over an orange and a teacher comes up to them and she splits the orange in half. Here you go. You get one half, you get the other. And both kids were still miserable. Why? Mm -hmm. Because if the teacher would have stopped to ask what was the actual interest of each child, she would have figured out that one child wanted the rind for a recipe Mm -hmm. and the other one was thirsty and just wanted the juice. And she could have made both kids happy if she just would have asked what their interests were. Yeah. And and what they were ultimately looking for. And it's the same in mediation. Sometimes and oftentimes you'll have one person will have one agenda and the other person will have a different agenda. So if we can help that family negotiate in a way where they can each achieve what they are interested in, you can really come out with win-win situations. So what can possibly happen when in a relationship one partner has the majority of responsibility or maybe control of the finances in a relationship? and then that relationship transitions to not being of the same strength, and then people are considering changing it. So that is a really difficult position, particularly for the one who's not got the control over money, 
because they're one they're of course they're at a disadvantage they don't have any control over what's about to happen their position is weak in the sense that they may not know you know if one person's controlling all the money they will know where where the assets are what the assets are you know what bank accounts RRSPs uh, pensions etc and maybe the person in control also has a business and if they're not forthcoming with the other party then the other party has no idea what they need to negotiate because they're not aware and so that's a really difficult position to be in and that's something i always say to my clients you know up front before you even make that decision and maybe you're thinking about it but before you do anything knowledge is power go find out as much as you can you know look at all the tax returns for the last few years look at any do- financial documents that will tell you or give you clues to what you own what is your debt is there a line of credit what's in your name maybe if you guys have joint credit card debt or loans or assets and you don't know about them particularly debt that person can cause you a lot of grief if you're not aware or they've told you only what they want you to know they've limited the amount of your access to the information to be informed so your knowledge of where you're at no i don't have or i'm not supposed to i i'm not allowed to because that's what i've been told that's right and and sometimes unfortunately that person who is in control will use that as a bullying tactic now when you enter this negotiation in a mediation well first of all you don't even know what you don't know and so they're just going to steer you in the direction they want you to go because you don't have the knowledge to fight back or talk back in in uh, an informed way right so how how can you suggest and we're not getting to the big picture but when people transition from a relationship where they're together whatever you know healthy way or not healthy way it is and then it ends and then one person has had that financial control and total ownership of all the financial aspects and then the one who was dependent is now left struggling financially they're living in a place that the other person pays the rent or pays the mortgage and then okay so people start to use leverage their power over the other person to try to get them to do something that's more aligned with what they want and so to get someone else to stop doing that what's not in their interest to do you know how how can people open their minds that there's more to this story so you know it's certainly very helpful to speak with a financial professional one is you know the, the simple thing of even talking about a budget so money can be such a scary topic for some people and that person who's not used to handling the money is probably so overwhelmed with how am i going to move forward how am i going to live how am i going to afford things even just talking to a financial professional to set up a budget with you walk you through what the day-to-day living expenses will be versus your income or if you don't have income and also in in tandem with talking to a financial professional is really speaking to a lawyer and obtaining legal advice because you really need to know what your rights and your obligations are and that also will help you figure out well, what kind of support are you entitled to are you entitled to support what does that look like how will that impact your day-to-day living and your lifestyle and what do you need to do to make sure that you're going to be financially sound and able to move forward you know without all this huge amount of anxiety but actually able to take care of yourself and if you have children your children as well so when relationships transition from you know being together and then there's a child or children from that relationship and people you know live in a place or they have a rent uh, you know there's things that happen through the course of the relationship and then you know there's financial realities that you know people are hit with especially the one who's been 
the less informed. And so all of a sudden, that the one who pays the rent or pays the mortgage is the, the primary uh, support person. They're, they're out of the home, the matrimonial home or place. And then they're starting to communicate in a certain way. They want certain things. They want you to not do this or do this. They want, like, access or custody. And so how does that uh, reality pick people in terms of that intimate relationship as adults, and then all of a sudden, you know, they have co-parenting responsibilities to maintain, even though the intimate relationship has ended? So um, certainly, particularly in the beginning of a, a, a split, there's a ton of emotion that's going on, right? It could be anger, anxiety, uh, just stress, pent up, just being upset with each other, and they're taking it out on each other. And when it comes to the decisions, whether you're in a mediation or thinking through how is this going to work moving forward, the person that doesn't know very much about the financial situation, there's a power imbalance. And so, you know, it's really hard for that person to sometimes stick up for themselves or to really know you know, where they're headed and how this is going to work. So again, I, I come back to it's really important to get help, not to be afraid to ask for help, whether it's the financial professional, whether it's seeking advice from a, a lawyer. It may even be talking to a counselor or therapist of some sort that can help you really get your confidence back together and help you sort through your emotions so that you can get to a better place where you can speak up for what you need. Yeah, I, I mean, I think that people are... M- make better decisions when they are, quote, in a a state of connecting with the information and processing that from an informed way. So it's more rational. When people go through these changes that are sometimes very unexpected, and though they built over a period of time, the reality hits them. And then if all these other factors are happening in their lives, how well are they connected to the concrete or substantive decisions they're going to need to make if they're complicated by or clouded with all this other stuff. Well, exactly. The emotions take over, and sometimes you can't see through the emotions, and you really need that other third party to sort of help you put the emotions to the side for the moment where you're having those conversations and the moments that you are thinking through what are the appropriate decisions for you, for your family, what makes the most sense, how are you going to care for your kids. You really have to be able to put those emotions aside as difficult as it is because you want to be thinking clearly and making the right decisions and not making those decisions out of anger or some other negative emotion. Or just being in the moment and making, you know, reacting rather than responding where you know, reacting is, for me, more uh, in the moment, spontaneous. It's not always the best of, you know, being informed. And response is taking that pause to process things and then making a better and more informed decision. That's right. And I also, you know, talk with clients about even preparing for the mediation, not just from a numbers perspective or, uh, like, the details perspective, but actually preparing from a mindset perspective, really centering yourself And, you know, it's going to be difficult. These are difficult discussions that you have to have. But if you can come from a place of calm and be able to think through rationally what you have to get through in that moment and be prepared, like in in a moment where things get really tense and heated, there is nothing wrong with taking a minute to breathe. Like just saying, listen, I need to pause here. I need to collect myself and get back in that that frame of mind where I can think clearly and not out of emotion. You know, the kinds of people that you work with uh, or that end up gravitating to family mediation, what would you say is the uh, range in terms of their capacity to be aware of and be informed of and about 
financial matters? Um, you know, I certainly see all ranges on the spectrum. Unfortunately, for a number of people, they're just not wired to think through the finances. It's just such a scary topic for them. Maybe they're not used to thinking it through. Maybe they've let the other person deal with it mm-hmm. all this time. And so it's you know it's really helpful having a person with a financial background talking you through it because you in a way you feel like you're someone's holding your hand because I'm not just there to mediate you I am there also to talk through well, what are the tax implications of that particular option or the other option how does it work if you know when we talk about equalization payments basically when you know we look at the net asset value of each person and then ultimately one person may owe the other person an equalization payment making you both come out with equal value at the end of the divorce, well, how does that payment take place? One person who has to make the payment might be freaking out. Oh my gosh, I'm going to have to empty my bank account to afford this payment. How will I live? Well, when you have a financial person in the room who can say, hold on, let's not freak out. Let's talk through all of the different options. It could be that there's a combination of a portion of that is a cash payment, a portion of that is a rollover of your RRSP to the other person's RRSP, maybe it's a portion of your pension will be uh, transferred to the other person, really being able to understand what all the implications are, and before you lose your cool because you're scared, again, this is just knowledge, getting the knowledge from the right person who can really guide you and steer you in the right direction. Yeah, and I think people make, get themselves into uh, a situation where no, and they get overstressed because they're not informed, they're not aware, and then there's this whole burden of anxiety that just waits on them, and then it impacts and complicates it even more, and they're not able to appreciate you know, the information that would be best for them to be better informed. So to be curious and ask questions. So you talked about equalization. So when people have financial, they go through life, they have different responsibilities. There's income, there's assets, there's liabilities, there's debts, and so you put together all that on there's court forms, a financial statement, talks about all the, those things from the ins and the outs, and then you get a you know, final determination and you see, okay, so you know, it's not always 50-50. It starts from that point, but it may not end up that way because equalization, where if one has more than the other as a responsibility is debts, that has to be factored into the decision-making too, right? That's right, absolutely. And uh, it's again, it, knowledge is power. And the more you know, the more informed you are, the less anxious you're going to feel. You'll actually feel like you have more control in the process because you are talking uh, rationally with knowledge and able to you know, not let that person bully you because you know what's going on. Yeah, knowledge is power. you got to use it too and not just keep it in your head and say, okay, I know it. you got to inject it as part of the strategy or the negotiations that you're going to have with the other person because if they know you know it but you don't utilize it in some way, they're still sort of somewhat controlling you. And this is where you know people may wonder, what is a divorce coach? This is where a divorce coach really comes in handy because this is a person who can essentially hold your hand behind the scenes and do all those things for you, explain to you how things work, uh, t- have you you know, bounce ideas off of each other on what makes the most sense for you and and give you strategies in how you can approach that other person so that it would be a more successful conversation and so you're not backing down or allowing them to bully you in a way that's not appropriate. I, you know, part of what we're, you know, 
This program is trying to give people access to information that can help themselves to empower themselves. I don't believe in the concept of empowering anybody. I believe creating the conditions for people to connect with the information to then empower themselves to make different decisions than when they started out as they journey through you know, transition of the relationship, whether it's divorce or common law, and that relationship ends, and then all of a sudden they find themselves with the realities of dealing with some property issues, spousal support, child support. You know, how do they best connect with that information? So what do you see your role at that point to try to be? So I think there's two things. One is obtaining legal advice. First and foremost, you need to know what your rights are, what your obligations are, and how the law works because you don't want to go into that conversation not knowing those things. Then you also want to connect with, uh, you know, a source of financial information, whether that's some kind of financial professional, to figure out how these things work and and what are your best options and how are you going to move forward um, with your life in a way that you're not, you know, you know, hand-to-mouth with your finances. Really, you know, these days, the Internet is such a great thing, right? You can Google so many things. You can find resources for yourself. Really important to know that you're not alone and the resources are out there for you. So what have you experienced as unexpected as you've uh, journeyed into financial and family mediation, etc.? So in a nice way, uh, one of my recent clients, I say to them, they need to put on a course on how to divorce nicely. This is the most beautiful divorce I have ever seen and been, you know, privileged to be a part of. These folks have each gone on to have new partners. Sometimes the new partners will get together with the children when the biological parents are not available. Their Christmases are the whole family is together. But first and foremost, these parents are respectful and kind to each other. Mediating this family has been the most lovely experience because everyone was nice right it wasn't about he said she said it was you know first and foremost the children come first which we all want our of course our children come first for everybody but sometimes it's hard to push aside the negativity and people put their own agendas and they impose that on the other person using the child as a a strategy to do things that they wouldn't want to do right so you know i i don't know that i expected i certainly you always hope that people can go through it amicably not everybody can. Some people can do a pretty good job. This family, phenomenal. Yeah. We had here a couple of weeks ago, we were talking about co-parenting, and I had the, the couple that had been together married, and they have a child. So they were here together talking about going through the court process. And so as early as point of intervention at the court or engagement, they decided to do things on their own and negotiate and c- came up with their own document as part of a consent. Oh. And they had the child here. You know, it was about working together as co-parents when it can be so positive and productive. It doesn't always have to go to the negative. And I think that's that's the huge piece here is educating yourself on what the alternatives are that are out there and to know that you don't have to go to court. You don't have to do that. And people have to realize they have the power to decide and determine to make those decisions on their own. You don't have to give that ownership up to the court system to decide for you. Absolutely. So how how have you been personally or professionally affected by your involvement as a family mediator to this point? I find this to be so rewarding for me, having gone through it and being able to impart, you know, the wisdom of life experience plus the, you know, the knowledge and uh, experience in my job, being able to walk people through this and, you know, share understanding of things and how things work. And listen, if you don't come up with this kind of an agreement, this is the alternative. 
and it's not pretty. And these are the reasons you should really try to come to an agreement. And, you know, here are different alternatives that you can consider because sometimes people just don't know. They, why would they? They haven't been through it before. They don't know. So it's really great to have somebody on your side that does know and can give you ideas on how you can think through different ways of resolving your disputes. And that's a major benefit of the process of mediation relative to court. Many times people make decisions in their relationships based on what they know. When you come in together in mediation, you can deepen and expand and broaden the information sharing so that people will walk from that process making different decisions because they've been informed in a different level and a different way than they would have not engaging in mediation per se. And that is so rewarding as the mediator to be able to help those people because I can tell you, I mean, you know, we've all had it where we've had those families come in and you think, wow, they are so they're at such opposite spectrums right now. I really want to help them. And as you talk them through and you can see, you know, their backs come down and they start to really listen and engage in the conversation and realize, oh, I don't have to fight that person. <laughs> we can actually have a constructive conversation. Right. We're not seeing our differences as a threat. Right. So we don't have to, like, push back. We can see it as an opportunity to learn and actually create something new and better. Exactly. Toronto is a very diverse area. The world is very diverse. Diverse in terms of mindset, practices, approach, even cult- the culture especially. What role might culture play with regard to financial capacity, financial knowledge, for, for example? So I think it's, it can be both cultural and generational. You know, I think with the older generations, certainly I can think of my own parents as an example, where the dad would be responsible for taking care of the finances and the mom would be responsible for other things in the household. And, um, you know, you can be really left, it's not even just into divorce, just in life in general. Mm-hmm. It's a real disadvantage to you if you don't know what's going on with your finances because, God forbid, something happens to the other person. You have enough to deal with dealing with that person leaving you. Right. But then to have to deal with, oh, my gosh, where is the money? Uh, how am I going to live? Where where are our assets? What do we have? I don't even know. Like, it's it's too much. You really need to educate yourself. And I, sometimes I make fun of my mom as an example. She, you know, my dad went to India for a month. And th- those were the days where you wrote the check out to the whoever you were paying the bill to. So he writes the checks for her, and he says, okay, on such and such date, you have to go mail the check. Mm-hmm. So this one day, she comes back from the mailbox. She says, I mailed the check, but uh, was I supposed to put a stamp on the envelope? <laughs> Which is a, you know, a reality, of course, though from her point of view, she didn't have the experience or knowledge to know that. Exactly. And so that's when, you know, even I took that opportunity at that moment. I was quite young at the time saying, Mom, you need to know. You need to know how Dad does what he does. You need to know what's in the bank account and where all the bill payments are going. You just need to know. You have to stay informed. What about, like, having this whole, when people are going to think to start a relationship together, before they actually really deeply engage in that, they, they go for a course on financial literacy, you know, what about raising a child, if there are plans to have a child, you know, people don't get the constructs, the information, they get involved and they do things and then afterwards something arises, it doesn't always work out and then these challenges arise. I think you make an excellent point, I mean there are some religions where they have, you know, there's like a two day course you have to do before you get married and they don't necessarily talk about the finances. And how great would that be if there was some course that you could take 
that would teach you about the finances and what are the things you should be talking about before going into that marriage. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, the earlier point, uh, when people, you know, people come to Superior Court and they want to get divorced, and uh, sometimes they're, you know, they're challenged with the process of trying to get divorced, and they say, well, it wasn't this hard to get married. In a way, maybe it needs to be a little more challenging to better inform people about the bigger picture, what it might entail. Of course, not every relationship goes through the same pathway. That's right. But yeah, I mean, you need to know your numbers, right? It's with anything in life, you you need to know, understand where you are, where you're going, have a vision. You have to have a vision for everything in your life, including your money. Where do you see yourself 10 years from now, five years from now, when you're older and you're in retirement? What does that look like for you? And how are you going to get there? You need to understand. So what can you suggest for people who are going to go through a family mediation process, especially as to financial, you know, knowledge? You know, one of the first things your lawyer will ask you and your mediator will ask you is accumulate your most recent three years of tax returns and notices of assessment. Uh, And then if you're creating your financial statement, you need to know all of the documents. So if you have bank accounts, go get a copy of them. If you have debt, you know, whether it's a line of credit or credit card debt or the mortgage, accumulate all of that documentation so you have a full picture of what's actually going on and in some cases many people will have a financial planner that is you know part of their family that they talk to on a regular basis go to that person and get all of those documents and have a conversation right talk to them about you know where do i sit right now i don't even you know if especially if you don't know and you let them deal with all of that have them sit down with you and explain to you as to what your status is and talk through what is this going to look like now when i go through a divorce what do i need to know really arm yourself with as much knowledge as you can make sure you have that documentation available to you again because if somebody is strongholding you because they know everything well, once you've seen all the documents and you know what's there, they don't have that power over you anymore. You know, the reality is, though, sometimes there are people who do things in the world that are not always transparent. There are things that they're, quote, hiding for whatever reason. Though They don't disclose it. They don't make it easy to, dis- to get access to information. There, there needs to be somewhat the ability, even financially, to retain some of the professionals. And some people just don't have that financial ability either to retain some of the people they need to retain so that is the unfortunate truth for you know many facets of divorce whether it's i can't afford a lawyer or i can't afford you know some in some cases if someone has a business and they're fighting over what's the actual value of the business Mm -hmm. you may need a chartered business valuator well that can run you tens of thousands of dollars and you're absolutely right sometimes people can't afford it then it beca- it comes down to having a discussion over cost versus benefit. Here's what it may cost you to actually get that business valued. Here's the benefit of doing that. You're, you know, it's not fair. Divorce is not fair. There are going to be things that happen that are not fair. There are going to be people that do things that are not fair. Sometimes I, you know, I say, especially given my life experience, sometimes peace of mind may be more important to you than anything else. And is it worth it to you to fight this thing tooth and nail to get at every last 
dollar or every last bit of information or is it worth it to you to have peace of mind and in some instances you might have to let go of certain things and it won't be fair but I'll tell you if you got your peace of mind with you you got a lot yeah and that can be the major challenge to get people to revisit their decision making their positions to see the bigger picture for their interests the long term so what would you want uh, people to uh, take away from our conversation tonight one is to be informed whether you are in the position of I'm thinking about getting divorced I'm not sure whether you are just about to start your divorce or even if you're partway through it be informed find out the information you need to find out whether that's speaking to a lawyer to get uh, legal information whether that's speaking with a financial professional about you know what do I how is my life going to look now that I'm going through a divorce what do I need to be earning to afford my lifestyle what does my budget look like how can I adjust my budget so that I am comfortable not to be afraid to speak to the professionals that can help you yeah just know that you have options and that you have the ability to make and make those the decisions that are necessary for you to transition from where you're at to somewhere hopefully better especially when they're kids because the kids are vulnerable they don't have the control over their lives that the parents do absolutely and i think one thing that is key is don't necessarily settle for the first professional you speak to speak to a couple of them and make sure that you they resonate with you and that you're on the same page in terms of what your beliefs are because you want to make sure you choose the right professional for you it's a relationship again too I want to thank you very much for uh, coming out tonight, Dila. My pleasure. And sharing and informing. Thank you so much for having me. Okay, you've been listening to Mediation Station on CHHA 1610M, the first community and ethnic station license in Canada. See you soon.